This is your award-winning BCFM on 93.2, 24 hours a day. Good morning. Welcome to One Love, One Planet, the award-winning environmental radio show here on BCFM, where we talk all things environmental in Bristol, the UK and the rest of the world. My name's Shona Gemfrey. I'm presenting this program for several months while the amazing Penny Southgate has a very well-deserved rest and recharges her batteries. We're going to be looking at some news stories related to the environment, both in Bristol and further afield. We're going to play some tunes. We were going to be talking to Kevin from One Planet Matters, but he is sadly unwell, so we'll not be able to make it today. Uh, we do hope he gets better soon, and we am sh- sure we'll get him in on to the studio in the next few weeks. However, never fear, as instead we have an interview later in the show with a very special guest, Lizzie Carr, MBE. She is an environmentalist and an activist and the first woman to paddleboard the English channel solo and the first person to paddleboard the length of Britain's waterways. We will be catching up with her and talking all about Spring Water Watch, which is ongoing at the moment. This is a chance for us to get involved in protecting our waterways and logging what we see. And Lizzie's going to hopefully explain that all to us later. So welcome to One Love, One Planet. Thank you for joining us and settle in for what is sure to be an interesting hour. We are at the part of the show where we're going to do a bit of a news roundup of all the different news that's been going on environmentally, locally, nationally and internationally. We're going to start with a headline in The Guardian all about um, some exciting news about US climate lawsuits. So this is called Experts Hail a Decision to Let US Climate Lawsuits Advance. So the Supreme Court yesterday rebuffed an appeal by major oil companies that want to face the litigation that's been brought against them in federal courts rather than state courts. However, federal courts are seen as more uh, favourable to potentially the oil companies. Um, So the Supreme Court said, no, you have to go to... um, you have to go to the state courts and this is really exciting for the people bringing the climate litigation against the major oil companies. The climate experts and advocates have said this felt like a dam breaking after years of legal delays to this growing wave of climate lawsuits facing major oil companies. The cases that they're bringing allege that fossil fuel companies are exacerbating the climate crisis by um, concealing and misrepresenting the dangers associated with burning fossil fuels. The lawsuits say that the companies created a private and public nuisance and violated state consumer protection laws by producing and selling fossil fuels despite knowing the products would cause devastating climate emergencies, despite knowing that it would cause melting ice caps, dramatic sea level rise and extreme precipitation and drought. Local governments are seeking damages for the billions of dollars they have paid for climate mitigation and adaptation. Um, The cases that they're bringing have been compared to the tobacco lawsuits back in the 1990s. Those lawsuits resulted in a settlement of more than $200 billion and those lawsuits changed how cigarettes are advertised and sold in the US. So this is potentially quite exciting for climate lawsuits and uh, climate uh, law in the US. Um, Six years have passed since the first climate cases were filed in the US, but courts have not yet heard them because fossil fuel companies have succeeded in delaying them. So hopefully this is the end of that delay and we will finally see some movement there. In UK news, um, so 200 groups joined Extinction Rebellion in London last weekend for the big one. Were you there? Did you see it? How was it? Thousands of climate protesters filled the streets of London during a protest called the Big One, where Extinction Rebellion led 200 other groups to have a mass protest. Bristolians demonstrated outside the Department of Transport in frustration at the Bristol Airport expansion. Up to 50,000 people were expected to participate over the course of the weekend. 
wildlife presenter Chris Packham called on every last person who cares to get involved because caring is not enough. The UN estimates that one million species are at risk of extinction, hence why it's so important. Where are you there? How was it? I wasn't able to go. I had a family event, but I was talking to a colleague yesterday who went and we were just sort of reflecting on the pros and cons of such an event. She said it felt great to be able to take her parents, her brother, her children along, but that she's worried it didn't actually achieve much in terms of pushing the government to make changes. She's sort of worried that protests like this are too easy to ignore. What do you think? Um, You can get in touch. Let us know via WhatsApp. You can message us on 07501 And our WhatsApp number is also on our website, bcfmradio.com. So um, going to the other extreme of climate protesting, um, there is also a headline in The Guardian about the two Just Stop Oil protesters who have been jailed for the Dartford Crossing protest. So this was a protest that happened back in October. Two Just Stop Oil protesters scaled a bridge on the Dartford Crossing, forcing police to close it to traffic, and they have been sentenced to more than two and a half years each for causing a public nuisance. Spokespeople from the activist group said that these were the longest sentences for peaceful climate protest in British history. The judge said it was a strict punishment because he wanted to deter copycat actions. But Just Stop Oil, a Just Stop Oil spokesperson said that they will not be deterred by these sentences, which they called draconian. They said that where they imprison one of us, 10 more will take their place. Uh, since the Just Stop Oil campaign began on the 1st of April 2022, more than 2,000 people have been arrested and 138 have spent time in prison. There are currently two Just Stop Oil and five Insulate Britain activists serving time in prison for actions taken with the campaigns. What do you think? Do you agree with this? Is this a, a useful way to get draw attention to the climate crisis or is this just uh, blocking people trying to get about their daily lives? Um, and a much more lo- and much more closer to home, but also controversial action. Uh, a headline from Bristol twenty four seven: Cars have been tagged with slogans shaming owners. Cars in a North Bristol neighbourhood have been tagged with slogans shaming their owners as climate criminals. The tags, along with another which reads "This machine kills kids," these tags have appeared on several vehicles in Clifton, including a four by four and an SUV. SUVs in Clifton have previously been targeted by climate activists who call themselves the tyre extinguishers and deflate tyres using dried lentils. The group wants the government and local authorities to introduce pollution levies to tax SUVs out of existence and ban SUV ownership in urban areas. In late February, the tyre extinguishers deflated the tyres of 80 SUVs in the area. And the the reason they would say that this is justified is because the continued global rise in sales of SUVs has pushed their climate heating emissions to almost 1 billion tonnes of carbon dioxide in 2022, according to the International Energy Agency. But people who uh, own these SUVs, who own these cars, are saying this is just vandalism, this is wanton destruction of private property, um, and this is just criminal behaviour. Again, a very controversial, a very controversial action that has been getting a lot of attention. Uh, in something less controversial, more, uh, yeah, potentially exciting. I mean, it probably still would be controversial, but the Cable has got an article. Bristol Cable's got an article saying that Bristol's car parks take up the land the size of 150 football pitches. What if they could be replaced by housing? saying that Bristol's trying to build its way out of the housing crisis, but it's tricky to find land to develop. The city also needs to massively reduce its car usage. Could converting cars parks into new housing be a potential solution to both these problems? 
the council's already planning to redevelop a handful of car parks, but new research shows there's almost 100 car parks that could be transformed. Other cities, such as Paris and London, have taken this uh, more radical approach to getting rid of car parking spaces, but this has provided backlash. People, Some people need their car parks. Uh, one major consultancy firm has claimed that well over 2,000 homes in Bristol could be built just on publicly owned car parks in and around Bristol. Uh, to date, the council has mostly been looking at small sites used for experimental housings. For example, there's uh, that terrace of 11 modular homes uh, at St George's Park and uh, in another car park in Fishponds. Uh, some tiny studio flats have been had sprung up in 2019. So this has worked in some areas. Is this something that we should be doing more widely or is this, yeah, is this going to cause more problems if our public transport is, is in a mess? Talking of public transport, our weekly update about the state of Bristol's buses and um, the cuts to certain routes have properly taken effect by now and some people are really feeling it. So, for example, um, the BBC and Br- Bristol Post have both run articles about Ashton Vale um, community and how much they are struggling as a result. People living in Ashton Vale and Bristol have lost the number 23 bus when it was withdrawn earlier this month. First bus said that the service was stopped because of low passenger numbers. Um, but this is a real difficulty because it's a working class community with no bus services. Uh, it was a council state originally built mainly for the elderly and disabled. Residents there have said they feel discriminated against after first bus scrapped this bus service. And uh, they apparently cannot get hold of uh, the Westlink service. This is the replacement scheme that's meant to be, you're meant to be able to use uh, your smartphone, an app on your smartphone to book, to order a bus service. But this isn't uh, working for Ashton Vale. This isn't an option for Ashton Vale. Uh, the first bus have pointed to the nearby M2 Metro bus saying they can get that one instead. It goes from Long Ashton into the centre of Bristol. But some local residents say walking there is not realistic for a lot of them if they are elderly or disabled. Um, sort of even getting to that bus stop is really difficult. Some Ashton Vale residents with disabilities are now just not able to go out unless they pay money for taxis and are having to pay about 60 quid at a time to go to the doctor, dentist or chemist. Another area that is struggling is Stapleton Village. In Stapleton Village, the Bristol Post reports that the nearest bus stop is over a mile away. Uh, That Again, people in Stapleton Village are really struggling to get anywhere because uh, their bus bus stop is so far away. Uh, Dan Norris, the West of England Metro Mayor, has said that he has brought forward a multi-million pound package of bus improvements, which means communities in Bristol can enjoy much more regular buses as of this month which in turn includes the turn up and go in five areas of the city including along Fishponds Road I think that's where buses are meant to be so regular that you don't need to you don't need to check ahead of time you're like oh well there'll be one within the next five minutes or so I'll just turn up and go like they have in London Uh, we have emailed Dan Norris's office inviting him to appear on this show we will keep you posted as to whether they get back to us but meanwhile I'm hearing a lot of people are struggling to use the Westlink service and that the app sometimes won't show any buses at all heading into Bristol. Winterbourne in particular seems to be badly affected with reports of several people thinking of leaving Winterbourne now that there are no buses and a lot of elderly residents feeling isolated and not clear on how to request the Westlink bus. You know, if you're not familiar, if you're not used to using smartphone apps, that that could be really difficult. And that and we know that loneliness is a big problem within, in this country. This is BCFM. We've got Lizzie Carr on the line to speak to us. Hi, Lizzie. How are you? 
I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Yeah. Um. So you're going to talk to us. Yeah. Just tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us. Um. I know you're a an avid paddleboarder. Is that right? Yes, I am. I would say I'm a paddleboarder and environmental campaigner. So I've sort of uh, bridged the, bridged the two together. So I do a lot of paddleboarding to highlight environmental issues affecting our waterways. I take on sort of big endurance challenges. Uh, on my paddleboard and then as part of that I collect what's called citizen science data so information about what's going on so I might do something like microplastic um, sampling I might use a, a smart fin so that I can take water temperature and motion characteristics of the water um, or use the Planet Patrol app to record any sort of visible signs of pollution or debris that I see on the water as well so um, yeah definitely a paddleboarder but also a campaigner. Amazing and you said you're an endurance paddleboarder what does that mean? I do long distances, so uh, my favourite kind of paddleboarding is um, going very far. So I back in 2016, I paddleboarded the length of England, so it's about 400 miles, um, <laughs> 700 kilometres, and I did that over 22 days. So I sort of camped out every night on my route, and um, you know, just it was the most simple, beautiful adventure through the country's um, the country's waterways. Did you not get absolutely soaked? I didn't fall in, actually, at any point. I got <laughs> soaked when it rained. Yeah. Um, I didn't fall in, but it did rain on me as I was paddleboarding um, a few times. But actually, I quite like paddleboarding in the rain because, um, one, everyone goes home and sort of switches the TV on and puts the kettle on. It's just kind of you and the wildlife. And it's like it's silent, apart from like, the sound of the water uh, patting around you and your paddle, sort of uh, the song of the paddle, I guess, is what I would say, as it goes into the water and comes out. So actually, paddleboarding in rain is one of my favourite uh, times to paddle, for sure. Oh, my goodness. Well, well done, you. And But I also read that you paddled uh, across the English Channel. Surely you fell in when you did that. No, I didn't. I can't <laughs> believe it either. Um, there were a couple of moments where I nearly did, but I didn't. I, I did another challenge, uh, an endurance one on the Hudson River in New York, um, and I did fall in on that one. I, and I just basically misplaced my paddle. I just thought it was in the water and it wasn't, and I just sort of tipped over the side of the board. But um, I haven't really fallen in too much. Touch wood, don't jinx me. Um, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, the channel was definitely an interesting journey and there was sort of a thunderstorm as I was getting into France and it was all a bit hairy at the last minute. The tides had turned and we were expecting this really good weather window and of course with um, any body of water they kind of have a mind of their own and micro um, microclimates around them and it was just... Uh, yeah, pretty full on at moments. <laughs> well done you. Um, yeah, so and so now you're encouraging, you know, you, this is something you see in nature a lot of when you go paddleboarding and now you're encouraging loads of people to get involved um, in the Spring Water Watch. I mean, what is that? Tell us about it. Yeah, so Spring Water Watch is essentially um, a campaign that we're running from now up until the 30th of April where anyone can take part by just spending 15 minutes observing their local waterways. So anything from a river, stream, canal or lake, just any body of water that's near you and just standing there looking out for things like signs of water pollution, plastic and any wildlife that you spot or invasive species that are present sort of in or, or on the water around you and just going into the Planet Patrol app completely free and completing the survey in there and submitting your findings. 
And then all the information that's gathered as part of that is analysed by our experts to kind of give this national picture of what's going on with our waterways and help us to then start identifying what the solutions are needed to help improve them and their quality. So we have thousands of people take part in our autumn version, which is called Autumn Water Watch. And so we do them biannually. And so we're really excited to see the results from spring. And obviously, the more people we have involved, the more data we get, and the more accurate the picture of of what we're um, creating will be so um yeah if anyone is interested in and, and sort of cares about their local waterway and wants to help to understand it better and sort of understand what the problems are with it i really urge everybody just to kind of go out it's really fun with friends family when you're walking the dog and literally just spend 15 minutes having a look around you like it's a great thing to do for the environment and for data and citizen science to help us but it's also just a really nice way to get outside and just be in nature just be in your local blue spaces Amazing. And you said it's um, an organisation called Planet Patrol. Um, how did that get started or what was the inspiration behind that? So I set Planet Patrol up actually as a result of doing that paddleboarding uh, challenge across England. So I'd, I'd kind of, I'd, I'd recently had a cancer diagnosis. So I'd, I'd left my job about eight or nine months earlier and decided that um, because I'd taken up paddleboarding and I'd started to see how awful the issue was with plastic pollution, that I was going to go on this journey and record all of this litter that I saw from one person's perspective, one person's journey, just to show the scale of, of what this problem looks like. At a time in you know, 2016, people really weren't aware of it at all. Um, and then by the time I'd finished, it had just snowballed. Like the media had got in touch with me. People all over the world contacted me from like Thailand, Russia, um, you know, literally everywhere. And just be like, I, I totally understand what you're doing and why you're doing this. And I really want to help. How can I get involved? So I set up Planet Patrol then uh, to do two things, actually. I developed an app so that people could record litter and, and plastic pollution that they were finding all over the world. So now we have this global repository of nearly half a million pieces of litter data um, that people have contributed to in around 113 countries. So we have this amazing global understanding of um, you know where... Uh, types of plastic, brands of plastics, um, and all other types of litter, actually, not just plastic. We record glass, aluminium, you know, leathers, clothes, you name it, we record it in the app. And that just really is great data to hold big brands and also governments to account using hard evidence and not guesswork, which is what is so important when it comes to citizen science. Um, and on the other side of it, we run paddleboarding cleanups all over the country. So if anyone hasn't tried paddleboarding before or even has tried it but wants to go out again, um, you can come and join us for free at any of our locations all over the country. Um, and we teach you the paddleboarding basics. We supply all of the kit and equipment, all of the, the, the paddleboard, the litter picking stuff. Um, but you essentially come for a paddle and any litter that you see, you pick it up. And at the end of the session, you record everything in the Planet Patrol app. And that's your payment, your nature tax is the picking up litter and recording it in the app so that we have this amazing repository of data. Um, so that's, that's the story behind Planet Patrol and where it was started and kind of where we are now as a much bigger uh, movement, I would say. That's incredible. Wow. So it really is a global thing. Your people are sort of logging this litter and giving you information from across the world. And what was, you yeah. said that... You said there was um, uh, a, an autumn water watch in the UK. I mean, have you sort of started to see what the results are of that and what data you're getting from that? Yeah, so we start, the first one was October last year and that was like a pilot for the spring watch that we've now launched. Um, but what, it's a bit too early at the moment because spring water watch is still running until the 30th of April. But over time, the intention is to have a look at the seasonal trends and differences across our waterways 
you know, between autumn and spring, but also then being able to look at that year on year and seeing how our, our waterways evolve and change over that time. So, I mean, I can't um, talk enough about the value of citizen science. I think it's been a, 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 a tool that has been undervalued and overlooked by the government, particularly um, over the last few years, as a really powerful way to solve environmental issues because you're collecting data on a scale, on a mass scale, um, and you're doing it around issues that would otherwise be deemed impossible. Like you would be told that you know you can't track litter, you can't record litter all over the country at that scale. Well, you can if you've got everyone in the country participating and doing it. And by doing that, obviously, you're able to then start to get a really good understanding of the main polluters, the main sources, the main types of litter, so that we can inform legislation and policies to say, OK, do you know what? We're finding way more bags than you would ever imagine in our waterways. The, t- the policy around this needs to be tightened, and we have the evidence to prove that. And that's what we're there to do, is fill knowledge gaps where there maybe has been... Um, a lack of information from government um, so that we can then build the evidence using the hard facts to, to inform change. That's incredible. And by citizen science, you mean like getting ordinary citizens involved in gathering this data, in in feeding into these things, not being like, oh, it all has to be done in a lab or it has to be done by professionals who have been specially trained. Exactly. And that's the really important distinction. Like, I don't come from a scientific background at all. Like, I'm much more of a creative than a, an analytical thinker, I think. But um, I, I really think that the word citizen science immediately, like it's not a particularly sexy word, is it? Like it really puts <laughs> people off because you think you have to have some kind of scientific background. You have to be some kind of academic. And, and it, just, it just needs a better word for it. So if anyone's got one, please let me know. But um, ultimately... Ultimately, it's basically just anybody in the general public just come out and get involved in whatever way that looks like. And Spring Water Watch is such a a kind of entry way of doing that. You're literally just filling in a survey and looking around you. There's no equipment needed, no experience needed. It's just 15 minutes of your time to look around and share what you see. And it sounds like a great way to get um, children interested and involved as well, like a very practical uh, way of sort of spotting, almost treasure hunting, you know, who can spot the next piece of litter and logging it. Um, yeah, so something that schools could potentially look at doing. Did you say it's running till Sunday? Is that right? The 30th? Sunday the 30th, yeah. And that's actually a really important point What you make, like you make there about the young people being involved. Um, yes, and that's exactly what we've tried to do with it, is create it as something that's really like friendly for all ages. Um, and, yeah, particularly kids, like just going out and like looking for wildlife. And, like, I've done it I've done it with my daughter, obviously, at the weekend, just gone. Um, and we just spent sort of longer than 15 minutes, probably about <laughs> half an hour, just looking around our local, our local waterway, just identifying wildlife and like, her helping me record it in the app. And I think if kids are going to be using tech, that's, that's the way we want them using it, tech for good. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So so the app, it's called Planet Patrol and people can download that from any app store and it's free. Is that right? Exactly that. Yeah. Amazing. And so you need people to do it by the 30th so that you're sort of running it over this current week so that um, you've got it within a specific time frame. And then there'll be another autumn one, hopefully in September or October. Yeah, exactly that. In October, we'll do another one um, so we can start comparing that data. But yeah, if anyone has a bit of time, wants to get out in the sun, the weather looks like it's perking up a bit now. Um, I promise it's really good fun and you feel really good for doing it because you're doing something good for the planet as well. Amazing. Okay. And yeah, if people want to look at the website, find out a bit more, how can they find you on social media and on the website? 
So they can find us on uh, planetpatrol.co is the website and you can go there if you want to sign up to any of our free uh, paddleboarding cleanups. And then on social media, we are just at on Planet Patrol. Um, and that's really where we kind of make a lot of our announcements. So if you want to know about, be the first to know about what's going on, it's usually breaking on social media. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Lizzie. I'm afraid we're out of time, but that was really interesting. Thanks so much for joining us. And yeah, hopefully loads of people get involved. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Good morning and welcome back to One Love, One Planet, the award-winning environmental radio show here on BCFM. And now we're going to go to our culture corner and talk a little bit about a new uh, a new film that's come out recently, which is a little bit controversial. So it's a film my friends have started recommending it to me. It only came out a few weeks ago. It's inspired by the book of the same name and it is called how to blow up a pipeline it's about a crew of young environmental activists um, who execute a daring mission to sabotage an oil pipeline it's called a taut and timely thriller that is part high stakes heist part radical exploration of the climate crisis so we're going to try and listen to the trailer now hey everyone welcome back to boom talk today teaching myself to make a homemade blasting cap and if this works it'll be step one making our own improvised explosive. Might be headed to Texas for the winter. What's in Texas? This project. What kind of project? Try to stop the pipeline from being built on my property. Poisons the air, water. Damn, this place is sick. You guys cooking meth in here? I'm ready to start working. We have to show how vulnerable the oil industry is by hitting something big. Michael, what do you think the odds are we blow ourselves up? I don't really care. We could blow the pipe at the hilltop, keep the oil from leaking. You're not actually thinking. I'm not thinking about it. I'm doing it. What if y'all do structural damage? Structural damage is kind of the point. This is destruction of federal property. Terrorism. American Empire calls us terrorists, then we're doing something right. If you're seeing this, let those who profit from mass death know their properties will be trashed. Three, two, one. So yeah, that is the trailer to the new movie How to Blow Up a Pipeline, which is based on, inspired by the book of the same name by Andreas Malm. It's in a lot of cinemas now. I think it's in the Watershed, um, the Odeon, a lot of different ones across Bristol. It's about a crew of young environmental activists executing a daring mission to sabotage an oil pipeline in a taut and timely thriller. Um, so it's sort of a heist. Um, 
movie. It's got a lot of good reviews. Reviewers describing it as incendiary, ticking clock thriller, startling, an absolute must-watch, exhilarating, a guaranteed blast. um, The Vice reviewer described it as one of the best movies I've seen in years. So it sounds like it's genuinely well done as well. Um, But yeah, so that is, I haven't caught it myself yet, but it sounds very interesting. The other uh, thing I wanted to plug in Culture Corner is a new uh, podcast I've just listened to by Verso Books. Um, So Verso Books are a a publishing company, an independent publishing company within the UK. And uh, they uh, have started a new podcast and the first episode came out last week it's called Against Nature but with Raj Patel and Tina Ngata and it's about uh, episode uh, it's about um, the historical roots that tie together the exploitation of nature and people and how these roots continue to impact our world today so it talks a lot about uh, exploitation about the history of colonialism and how these things are now feeding into the climate crisis um, so I've been listening to most of that it was really interesting so I definitely would recommend that uh, it's called Against Nature it's by the Verso podcast if you look at that for where you get most of your podcasts and that brings us to the end of our show i believe um thank you our listeners for listening without you there is no show please do join us next week when we're going to be talking um to zoe from sustrans all about local sustrans uh greenways and how you can get involved next up on bcfm is lunchtime with tristan b so keep it locked to bcfm with more tunes and chat but that's all for me shona gentry for now so please take care have a good day look after yourselves look after the planet and look after each other this is the podcast version of one love one planet the award-winning environmental radio show broadcast every tuesday at 11 a.m on bcfm radio available on 93.2 fm on digital radio and on the bcfm website the show was produced and presented by Shona Jemfrey. You can find us on Twitter at Shona Jemfrey and at BCFM Radio.